This is Mormon Awakenings. You can email me your questions or comments to mormonawakenings at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Welcome back. So I'm here with Dan Weatherspoon of Mormon Matters. Dan was kind enough to have me on his podcast a week or two ago, which was a lot of fun. So thanks, Dan. You bet. And Love so it. I thought it would make sense to have Dan on Mormon Awakenings to hear uh, more of his wisdom and his insights. And Dan, I thought we just would launch right into it. You asked me a question on your podcast about the title of Mormon Awakenings. You know, why is it called Mormon Awakenings? And I, I gave you sort of a lame, not really well thought out answer, which was, um, you know, to, to be positive in dealing with common problems and and I wanted to give you a slightly better answer today, and then and then maybe we can talk about it. So, so I think in life, if we back up a little bit, I think in part of life is awake, awakening in general from, you know, the, the script we've been given by others, or from our conditioning, or from our religion, whatever that religion is, and and I think that period of time when you're awakening. Or, or realizing, the first time you experience it, and I think it happens many times in life, but the first time you experience an awakening of sorts, you can you can easily fall into um, a pattern of being very cynical or sarcastic or negative, or you start to get paranoid and think that everybody's been lying to you. Um, and so, and I think that happens to Mormons as well. You know, we're we're taught a story, we're taught a narrative. We're taught some some things, um, truth claims are made. And and then at some point along the road, I think for most Mormons, there's kind of a, um, a an awakening where what they, our, our previous understanding of all these things, the way we interpreted all these things collectively, no longer seems to be accurate to, to what's really happening. And I, and I think people at that juncture can, can, can become very disillusioned. And yet I think it's something that happens to everybody. And so I wanted to, with Mormon Awakenings, kind of address that time of life um, and I guess lend some support that, hey, this this happens. And here's here's a way or two or many to think through that. So that's a better answer, I guess, but I wanted to throw it really to you um, not why I named the podcast Mormon Awakenings, but this <laughs> idea of awakenings <laughs> and get your views about awakening in general and then maybe, you know, what, what you think about this idea of a Mormon awakening. Awesome. Let me riff if I can here then. I, uh, first, first of all, you do serve that, uh, that transition point, that pivot point really well. So I'm, I'm a fan of your podcast and I appreciate you. And I even did a little, uh, ODing on you this weekend and it was wonderful. So, oh no, <laughs> no, <laughs> well, definitely nice. great. Thank you. And including, uh, the one that you did with Tyler Bruff. Uh, so I thought that was uh, helpful for me knowing that I was going to come on. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, my background uh, before I, you know, I, I ended up getting a doctorate in religion. And kind of the progression from that was a philosophy degree at, with a classics minor. And I was so interested in classics because I got into mythology. And, you know, mm. just the, you know, the Greek, Roman, other mythologies and stuff like that that was just really, really fascinating to me. And I, and I gained an appreciation for you know, people making sense of the world given the circumstances and what they can control and can't control and, you know, why do we, yeah. why are we motivated this way, that way, the other thing. And I just saw deep wisdom there. And I was taking all, also there every religion class I could, well, I did take a lot of every religion class, Mormon ones, but I took, for instance, mm -hmm. Truman Madsen's class on Judaism. I took, you know, the world religions courses and, and various things like that. And I was just fascinating with, with all the different stories but, you know, like hmm. like everybody else, I didn't, at least at that time, yeah, those are nice stories. And I could see how people find value in there. But, of course, mine isn't that way. Mine is the true one. You know, mine is the, uh, you know, right. you know, I just, I just didn't, didn't go there until later on. And, and so then I went and got a, a master's in religious studies at Arizona State University. And it was... Um, 
again, just this massive, ah, holy smokes, I love these religions. And I became fascinated with myth, huh. myth and ritual and wrote my master's degree on ritual and why people, when they perform the rituals of their their community, they feel empowered. Why do they feel oriented? Why, oh. why do they feel like, hey, I, I can conquer the world now when they come out of it? You know, because ritual's boring and repetitive and, you know, this highly stylized yeah. this and that. And, the other. and yet, you know, I was kind of playing with my own Mormon experience of feeling great when I finished, you know, a, a temple session kind of thing. So I did that. Right. I did that. And then I went yeah. and got the doctorate in, in the religious studies. And just on the, the question of awakening, I guess the reason I, I put that background in is... One of those places where every religion seems to land, you know, when it's mm. when it's moving people from just the story and moving them into the experience. You know, there's there's like you, mm. you can believe, but you can't really know right. know unless you've somehow experienced it. You know, and we can talk about Mormons. You know, we're so in our head and we think that we're we're saved or we think we really accomplished something because we say we can believe or we say we have a testimony. Well, I mean, to yeah. me, unless you can can like you know what was it uh, in. First Peter or Second Peter, uh, always be able to give a reason for the hope that's in you. You know, in other words, I don't want to hear your testimony as in a truth claim. I want to hear what happened inside you. You know, what brought you to yeah. this? You know, that's the thing, and that's the crux of awakening to me. It's it's when a religion and mm-hmm. they all have the deep teachings that point you to this, and they're saying, you know, do these things, do these things, put yourself in a position where maybe, <sighs> you know the something else takes over yeah. rather than your brain. <laughs> you know, let, let, let yourself be in that space where an awakening can happen. And what this awakening, mm. the way it always ends up landing is you're awakening to your deeper, your truer self. It's a soul awakening. It's like, okay, I've been living the script that I picked up from my family I've picked up from my friends. Yeah. I, you know, the peer pressure led me to take my natural raw Wotherspoonness or what you know, Naniqueness or whatever we were, you yeah. know, when we're children dancing yeah. without any, uh, you know, eyes upon us and not worrying about it and whatever that that pure what's the joyfulness or whatever there you know we start to get timid and we start to worry and then we start to say oh somebody has laid out the steps i better follow those steps and blah 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 blah. we just we just get get into that and so every religion points us to discover yourself and and very a lot of them that self that you discover is eternal it's timeless, mm. it's perfect, it's whole, <laughs> and we've just covered it over, you know, just with yeah. all these extra layers of things, including beliefs. We just cover over uh, yeah. that, that experience of who we are now. So anyway, that, that's just my basic uh, first run at awakening, if that's not too long, sorry. No, that was, that was outstanding. And, and uh, you know, one follow-up question that comes to mind as, as I listen to you you know, you mentioned every religion, every tradition kind of brings us to this, to this point. It doesn't make you uh, go there, but, but it offers it to you. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, as I listened, I, I would think that some of our listeners, uh, some of, some of the Mormon awakening listeners and some of the Mormon matter listeners would say, um, many traditions bring you to this point, but Mormonism does not bring you to this point. That, that you have to leave Mormonism to get to this point. Boy. And so I, would, so I would sort of ask that question. I think that's a, that's a hard question to, to address. But what, what are your views about that? I mean, does Mormonism take you to a point where you feel, um, you know, where, where you really understand who you really are? Or does it encumber you with something so heavy that it, that it actually requires you to throw it off? 
Well, I, and I have an uh, opinion. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I have too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what is Mormonism? For so many people, Mormonism is the culture, just as sort of what happens on Sunday. It's the you know the conformity. It's the call and response kind of rote things. And you know, you serve and yeah. you do your duty and do to do. You know, that's Mormonism for many people. Mormonism for me yeah. is the largest vision that Joseph Smith had. You know, these these hunches, these these insights, mm-hmm. these mystical things that you know came through him that said number one what is it you're eternal you haven't been created everything in this universe has intelligence and the ability to have enjoyment and you know to you know it's like man i'm i can't i can't get rid of more you know mormonism to me is that uh at least i can always extremely broad at least i can keep both you know both there i can i can have what's happening to me on sunday you know in front of me but i've got the deep song of mormonism you know in the background for me at all times and and so what's happened in my life is the the stuff that looks like cultural pressures and people with living out of fear rather than, you know, confidence and spiritual, you know, uh, wherewithal of their own. Um, that, you know, the, the background, you know, is, has now shined that light. You know, I've got a little backlighting to all that. And it's yeah. it's it's made it it's actually been very, very important for me to be in church and to not, and to have people of other folks and just to like love without judgment. And, you know, I mean, sometimes of course that moment is, Oh, this person is driving me crazy. But you know, with that, with that deeper song in in my background, it's like, Oh yeah, I know why Uh, I was exactly them 10 years ago or, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it would be. Or, you know, there's something about them. Oh, that person reminds me of this particular thing that my wife does or that my brother does or, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just fun to, to kind of sit there and, and enjoy that. So I think you're right. Every religion, like James Fowler says, you know, stages of faith, and I'm sure you know kind of that. He says, every religion will bring you right up to stage three, which is the synthetic uh, conventional stage. You know, we've got all, all the story, yeah. all the elements of a story synthesized, but it's a very conventional, you know, vision. But he says, every religion, religion's deep teachings point you to number six, which is this universalizing faith where you do nothing but reflect the divine ill, the divine will, excuse me. You know, the, it's the, yep. it's where you can push past ego and, and just sort of, you know, recognize, you know, your, which ways you're trying to shape things versus the, which way spirit wants to, you know, open up inside you. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Well, if I, I think you make it, I, th- I think that's a tremendous answer. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the, the reason I raise it is I think it is easy to say, um, oh no, there, there are all these strictures and rules and, and our particular, our peculiar form of ritual, um, our, you know, very particular and peculiar set of scriptures, you know, the Mormon canon is a little different than the traditional Christian canon, certainly different than some of the Eastern, uh, religious texts. You know, and, and so it is easy, it's it's an easy trap to fall into the notion that, um, you know, somehow Mormonism is more confining or ties you down more than, you know, it doesn't allow the freedom. But I, but I think you make an excellent point, which is this this idea of, of any organized religion taking you uh, to a certain point. And then at that point... Um, you know, one needs to push beyond. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want to characterize it as breaking out of a shell or rebelling so much. Although I think that those you know those images can be helpful. But there is this point in everyone's walk, I believe, where where you go beyond um, the what is perceived as the orthodoxy. You just have to, and yet at the same time, you must. Master the orthodoxy. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. You can't can, get beyond can, the orthodoxy. Piano scales and know how to until, play before you can improvise. Yeah. The, right. You, ha- you have to master the orthodoxy. And, you, and then, and not only that, but as you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, you still feel, you feel even at this point that you, you got to keep going to church. You, you know, so you even have to keep, you have to keep one foot in the world that everyone else is living in. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. In order to in order to stay, um, 
to stay grounded um, or to, you know, to fully appreciate um, some of these later stages in life. And, you know, Fowler describes it a certain way. There's another guy that who I, who I love and am more familiar with. Richard Rohr describes oh, yeah. it as the <laughs> first and second half of life. You know, I, I love Richard Rohr. Oh, did you, did you, but, know, did you know just for a second, I kind of brag on this. It was really cool. I'm going to be in his uh, living school starting this August. So I, I, I got accepted into wow. his two year program. So uh, he and uh, James cow, Finley tremendous. and Cynthia Bourgeois, I can never say her name, but this other wonderful yeah. teacher. So yeah, I'm excited. So oh that oh that's going to be super exciting. I'm yeah, immersed. He's, he's a real uh, oh that'll be tremendous. Wow, that's going to really that's going to be tremendous. I'll, I'll really be excited to hear what your well, thoughts are on that. I'll, he, I'll write you a, a recommendation. Yeah, he, you come next year. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. That'd be awesome. Cool. That'd be terrific. Wow, that that would be great. Um, but you know, but this idea, you know, I I think it's important to notice that to point out. Um, you know, is that one needs one's roots. Um, and you can't, you, you know, you can't experience more of life by just hacking off and leaving behind, you know, the, the, the stories, the, the doctrines, the rituals, the practices that sort of brought you to the, to the place that made you, brought you to the precipice of, of awareness or awakening. You know, and I, I think that it's easy for, for, for people to think, um, oh, I, I'm I'm awakened, or I'm enlightened now, and I don't need any of that churchy nonsense. Yeah. It's that's just dumb, you know. Or 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 to, you know, to, to jettison things as being superfluous, even if you know one's understanding or one's interpretation of it changes over time. And I think that's important. I think that's an important thing that we don't talk about enough. Certainly in you know progressive Mormonism, but I think just in any kind of religious path you know we, we don't talk en- enough about the need to stay with the body of christ in, in our context or stay with the group stay with the tribe and then you know contribute back towards them uh you know and be there for 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 other people's um progress if nothing else absolutely you know uh i'm a Again, just deep myth and ritual studies, you know, among the ones that most people have at least heard of is Joseph Campbell. And, you know, he's mm. this, this great guy that collected all the myths. And then, of course, he created this. He saw that they, each one had this monomyth or what he called the monomyth, which is this sort of the hero's journey. You've heard of that, the hero with a thousand uh, yeah, faces and right. all that. But that's the whole point. You know, the hero, you know gets called out of the normal world, the the binary world, the first half of life world kind of thing. There's either a deep sense of calling or something tragic happens and the person feels these stirrings and they need to go on the journey, right? Uh, but But they reject the call first. So my favorite prophet by far is Jonah. Because, you know, he, it's, he's just so archetypical, right? You know, oh, God's calling yeah. me to something. I ain't going. I don't want to do this or something. And so, of course, you know, the, yeah. the belly of the whale is he's depressed. He can't, you know, he's, you know, all those metaphors for water means your soul's in turmoil and all those kinds of things. But then he, you know, he, he, yeah. he wakes up and then goes on the journey. And so that's the thing. There's the rejection of the call, but then you go into it. And then you get, you find lead, you find fellow travelers, you find uh, false teachers as well as true wisdom guides, and you have mm. you have to learn that discernment there. You know, there's, there's going to be the trickster figure, or there's going to be the person who, you know, sounds like he's got it all together, and then they they show either the lack of depth or you know that they have ulterior motives or whatever. So so you're into that, huh. but finally it leads you to that place, and again this isn't like fast, you know, this is, you know, 15 years, maybe 10 to 15 years, yeah. you know, of, of wandering sort of in this wilderness and, and slowly working your way up to where you can go to the inmost cave, which is the, the place of ego death that, to go to this place where mm. you confront your deepest fears, you confront everything that um, is your main challenges in life and you, you are willing to die you know yeah. and and so you know again baptism and you know the we talk about you know buried in the likeness of of death and raised in the resurrection i mean christianity's got this sort of thing but we just are so you know casual about oh isn't that a nice symbol and things like this they don't know that what we're really doing and it, you know as we renew our covenants and get deeper and deeper that's basically what that 
what that ability to do is to say, what am I still holding on to and trying to control myself? What am I still afraid of? Why won't I make this move? It's not like, oh, please forgive me of my sins this week and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that chance every week to get into this, this cave and to tr- slowly but surely, you know, you know, conquer your, yourself um, that way. And, and then, so as, as you do that, then the person, uh, after they die and are resurrected or whatever, he talks about, you have this elixir of life. You have this, this ability mm. to sort of know the secret. You now can be the master of both worlds. You, can, you mastered this mm. inner world, and then you can go back. And so the hero then returns to his community, like you say, and, you know, having the secret it becomes evident to some who are willing to look or who, who, you know, notice and others that don't, but the hero is called back to their community generally. So I love Jonathan Livingston Siegel as this wonderful version. Do you remember that? You and I are probably old enough to, uh, you probably read that when you were a kid or knew when it was a phenomenon. I, I, I remember the name and I remember the, the phenomenon at a high level, but I don't remember the specifics. Well, well also, I'm, also I'm, I, the only reason I was to make it is, you know, he's this, he's this, you know, a, a seagull of a different ilk and, you know, where everything else is about the breakfast flock following the fishing boats, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's what mm-hmm. a seagull's life is. He just discovers the love for flying and, you know, self-expression through uh, flying. And so he's off and he's the weirdo and, and he's just practicing turns and all this stuff. Well, he, he eventually ascends to the newest level. Um, you know, it sends to another level and he gets taught and met by masters and they teach him and things like this. But then he comes back to his flock and then there's this uh, young gull named Fletcher Lynn Siegel and a few others mm. that just notice him and soon they become his students and they're off doing it. And then, you know, pretty soon the cycle goes and Fletcher Lynn is now leading the, the next group. And it's now a dozen or 16, you know, goals that are decided mm. there's more to life than just, you know, getting the, the food off the fishing boat, you know, kind of stuff. Huh. So it's, it's just yeah. this nice, uh, like you say, this cycle of coming back, but there's no way to say that it's not hard work and there's no way to get around. Like you don't get to control this a hundred percent. You know, you can control putting yourself in situations where transformation and true letting go and a true discovery of your deepest self can emerge, but you can't control what direction it's going to put you in. You know, my whole, my whole career is that, you know, that's uh, writ large. Thank you, universe. You took me forever. And, you know, but, you know, it was like, I was going to be a college professor, you know, and then I, you know, just it, door well, after You know, door. You, you, raise, yeah. you raise so many interesting points, and I, I don't want to let them oh, pass. No, the first is um, you talked about fault teachers, um, which, which implies that there is um, – you know, there are teachers out there that can help you during some of these later stages that may not be um, obvious to, to, to the mass, to the masses, to the group. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, I wanted to ask, you know, who, who, and you don't need to name names, but was there a particular teacher or mentor or guide that you had? And did you have some problems with fault teachers, fault, false teachers along the way. Yeah, I, I've, I mean, I just had him on my show about five, six weeks ago because uh, he did serve this mentor role. And I, I rarely do one-on-one interviews, but I've, I've started to do some this year. And, uh, and it's mm. Charles Randall Paul was a fellow who I met when I was in grad school. And I was, it was in my third semester. And this is when I had first begun to really like say all these things I've learned in, in my master's program, I have to apply to Mormonism as well. You know, mm. you know, it's yeah. like, I can't, I, I can't just pretend that we're, uh, we've, we've escaped the human hands and the human shaping and, you know, the bureaucratic, you yeah, know, this right. and that, you know, and so I had to apply it and I was feeling pretty low and th- seriously, you know, how there's those few moments where you just feel like divine hand is, you know, working behind the scenes to put a couple people together. And I don't know if you want me to tell the whole story of how he and I got hooked Uh, up, but it was pretty, it was pretty remarkable. I'd I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear the story. Okay. And And is he LDS? Oh yeah. 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 So what it is, is Randy, Randy uh, is about 
mm, I think he's nine years older than me. Um, and mm. he had a very successful career as a commercial real estate developer. And he got to the point where he says, I want to pursue my passion. And he always had this educational uh, social psychology, social psychology was his thing. Mm. And he was especially interested in conflict and why people are in conflict. I loved your show about conflict ain't so bad. Dude, you, Mm. (laughs) I could, I could just like, I should do a podcast just like echoing and adding new things to that one (laughs) for you. Cause, oh, I tell you, Randy and Randy and I worked on, worked on a book together. Um, We haven't actually published it yet but there were so many wonderful things in that one but anyway back to this so what he did is he decided okay so he gets himself accepted at the university of chicago in the committee on social thought which is like this you know design your own curriculum you're you know it's only like five or six people a year you get to pick from all the faculty and just do these university studies things or you can go sit in on any class you want and so he goes, I'm going to the University of Chicago. I'm going to look up at the Arizona State University catalog and see who went to the University of Chicago. So before I go there, I will, <laughs> you know, just uh, huh. at least kind of know what to watch out for and if there are people I should really get to know and stuff. So he picks one guy out of there, and it happened to be the guy I was uh, his teaching assistant for that semester. His name's Todd Swanson, wow. and he went and had him. And in the course of the conversation, it came up that he was Mormon, and Todd goes, hey, my, my – uh, research assistant or my grad assistant this semester is Mormon. Let's go see if he's in his office. <laughs> so knock on the door. Wow. I happen to be working that night or that afternoon or whatever it was. Randy and I just, we've become soul brothers, you know, since then. So it's just like, huh. you know, how's that? That's cool. The universe arranged that. And then another important time, I'll let you know where I think the universe will arrange it. I got put next to the, uh, next to James Fowler on a plane. And it was right at that. Wow. Moment, it was right at that moment when I'm so frustrated. I'm not getting this college career going, you know, and mm. and just oh, yeah. and I'd read him actually in my master's program, but it didn't strike me because I think I thought I was already stage five or six, you know, because I'm I'm a Mormon and I skipped all those other <laughs> steps because I was valiant in the previous <laughs> life and you know, all that kind of diff- different yeah. stuff. But man, at that point, I needed it, and so I ended up rereading. I read his book, Faithful Change, that he was um, about to um, release, and I read uh, Stages of Faith, and that was just, it sent me into a three-year study of faith development. And oh man, so I don't know. There's hmm. a few fun things like that. But where was our what was our story about originally? Oh, you asked about the, if they're mentors. Yes, absolutely that. Now with false mentors, and I don't really need to mean. I don't always need to say that they're deliberately deceiving. I just think they have, they think they have more insight than they do. And so Mm, because, because they've picked up on one or two things and they've, they've dived deep, you know, on one or two things and, and they may have a lot of empathy and they may have all sorts of gifts, but at some point you just say, okay, that was a good excursion. I can see that mm. I've now gotten to the point with them where the world is closing down instead of opening up. You know, it's, it's like, uh, mm, yeah, yeah I, I can't, I can't see going any further there. Or if I went any further there, I would have to start denying all these other experiences that I'm having over here. And, and so if when people, mm. for instance, for me, one of the big things that happens in these Mormon faith crises is people start to say, well, I've, uh, spiritual experience is emotional experience. You know, and it was our emotions that got involved here. And, you know, at some point, you know, when I listened to those folks, I might have gone with them at first. But then I just kind of go, whoa, whoa, wait. I've had plenty of emotional experiences. I've teared up at lots of different things. And I know the difference between that and when when I've had a spiritual experience. But some people don't have the yeah. confidence to say that, you know. And, and, yeah. and so yeah. they'll go down those roads. And I don't think that person is deliberately deceiving. I think they've probably not had one themselves, but assumed that they had. Because the person in, right. in Fast Testimony goes, well, I'm crying here, but I know that means the Spirit. You know, and I'm going, eh, yeah. okay, right. you know. Good yeah, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and you, you know, you talked. Was is it Charles Randall Paul? Is that yeah? Rand, that I call name? him Randy Paul. Yeah, yeah. Charles Randall Paul. You call him Randy Paul. So he, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the false teachers and some of the, and again, it's not not maliciously false. Or not, sometimes, um, sometimes, you know, you know, for money. Or, yeah, yeah, I guess sometimes money, be, ego, yeah. <laughs> ego, narcissism. You know, certainly they, they ego, right. You know, they may not be all that self aware about those elements, but yeah. 
Right. They may not, yes, and I, I, you know, that's boy, that's a whole other can of worms we could spend a lot of time talking about. But, but what? So what? And, and Fowler, I think you know some of the listeners who are listening today um, will be f- somewhat familiar with with Fowler. But what what were some of the specifics that you learned from Randy Paul? I know he was he was um, yeah. You know, he was at the University of Chicago. Did he have a certain theory or a certain point of view, or was he just kind of um, kind of enlightened and he gave you some personal? instruction yeah. or was it just a friendship or what, what yeah was a, li- a little of both you? um well the the first thing was okay within you know one or two meetups you know we went we we scheduled that first time we met we scheduled to go to lunch and you know of course two hour lunch led to you know many many lunches and dinners and various things after that but the first thing was okay here's a guy that's clearly asked every single question i've asked i mean we have different personalities of uh, course but he's seen it yeah. all and he's worked through it to where he is able to do this both and and so it was just like this up mm. close and personal friend you know, who I could see, okay, I can respect him and maybe he's got a secret that I might yet go. And I even called it back then spiritual maturity. It was like, he's clearly more spiritually mature than me. So that was one huge thing. And then he, of course, introduced me to Sunstone and Dialogue, which I had never heard of. I started reading those. The Arizona State Library had tons of bound volumes of Dialogue down in the basement. And I'm just, you know, I'm just like, oh, my people, I found my people. You know, people ask questions in Mormonism. Yeah, Yeah, so it was nice for that. And, of course, and then I went to, you know, the very first uh, Sunstone, I went to one in in Anaheim, California, Sunstone West, and Gene England spoke. And I said, like here's Gene England talking about peace and you know nuclear protest and I'm going this guy's a BYU professor you're kidding me you know so I'm just like everything (laughs) is just wonderful so I see these mentors you know Armin Moss and Richard Bushman and all these guys too but again it doesn't mean I didn't have Mm. to do the actual work myself but I will tell you the one thing that Randy Paul said to me somewhere probably in the first month or two because he knew of my interest in world religions and how much I love religion. And that's, I was just driven. This was the most fascinating stuff in the world. And he goes, you know, he goes, you seem to cut a lot of slack to other religions. You know, you know that they're not mm. perfect, but yet you can see why people love them. You can see what, what gifts they give to them in their life and all those good things. He goes, are you willing to do that with Mormonism too? You know, can you mm. can you step back and cut it some slack? <laughs> you know, because even though it says it's the true religion and it is led by Jesus Christ, and these prophets basically have yeah. meetings. You know, some people think every Thursday, you know, personal interviews or whatever. And right. you know, he just kind of said, you know, those every religion has its gifts. Every religion moves people, and again, like we talked about at the beginning, it moves them into enlightenment, into awakening if they'll go there. But you know. Yep. You know, so it was almost like, you know, we always think, oh, my parents suck. My parents are the worst ones in the world, you know, versus, you know. <laughs> so it's like we do that with religion. My religion, it let me down. Damn, it's the worst religion, you know. And it's just like, no, it's got yeah. so many gifts. But, you know, when you asked me earlier before, so I just won't want to lose it because it's come up in my brain a couple times when we were talking about something else. But when you said, mm-hmm. like, what are the gifts of Mormonism that to somebody for their awakening? I'll let you know, mm, yeah. the, the, the number one one for me was my mission and the ability to go mm. on my mission to, you know, step out of my own regular life for a year and a half and to basically, you know, every day be asking God for guidance. And, you know, yeah. I had some wowie zowie, you know, these are moments in my life I can never deny happened to me. I had some of those massive spiritual experiences. But just every day, in some way, I just learned how God worked with me or how the universe got messages to me. And so having that immerse, immersive period, I learned what God's voice felt like to me. Mm. But I, but in of course, in that I also learned that I was acceptable to God, and I wasn't, you know, one of. The, I was a really good missionary. Um, I ended up, you oh. know, getting to teach at the MTC for a few years afterwards, and all those kinds of things. But I was, I was um, able to just know that, and so that's where I meant, like, you got to experience it yourself. And so Mormonism through missions, you know, gives mm-hmm. you that opportunity to do nothing but learn you and God. 
and to be outward focused and all yep. those kinds of things. Now, of course, some people get there without the mission by saying that's a real gift. But I think having that calling and especially having a calling where you really have to wrestle that can be enough. You know, I feel the responsibility. And as long as it's not like I'm guilty, I'm guilty. Oh, I, uh, forgive me, forgive me and all that stuff. But it's like, no, I, I, yeah. I need to consecrate this time. I'm set apart for this moment. However long it is, it has a beginning and it has an end. But I'm going to consecrate my efforts here. And if you and God are working on that together, you're going to learn, you're going to learn these things about, you know, uh, how beautiful you are you're gonna know how expansive uh you know the gifts and the grace are stuff like that no i i i completely agree and i think that's beautiful and i think that's one of the things that i mean one of many things that that the you know modern mormonism does extremely well i mean you mentioned it in the mission context of you're you're dedicating all of your time to to God, serving God as best as you understand it. And you're trying to apply things that you've been taught, but you're also learning new things and how to apply those and, and your sensitivities are up. And it's really quite amazing. Um, but it, but it's also reflective of kind of a broader idea inside our, our church, which is, you know, you're supposed to be dedicating, you know, your life to, to this, to this pursuit. It's not about making money. And I mean, if you're if you're really honest about what our teachings are, it's not about sure. making money and it's not about, um, you, you know, status. It's really about, you know, dedicating and consecrating yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to understanding God and, and doing God's will and just figuring out what that means. And that's really a beautiful um, kind of supposition that's given to us inside the church. And everybody has all, you know, we have all sorts of ways of playing with that and, figuring out what that means, but, but what a tradition, you know, that, that you're, you're given that as the purpose of life yep. and that's really beautiful. And you get to go practice as a <laughs> missionary, you know, and you practice, you know, by, by, you know, people, I know people love to gripe about paying tithing to some and they per- perceive the church as this corrupt institution, but you practice, if you can step away from, from that and say, here's a way that I can practice, um, you know, recycling back blessings that come to me from a being beyond me. You know, I can recycle it back into all the other children on earth. <laughs> it's really a beautiful practice. And and a lot of, and then, then if you step back a little bit farther, you realize that other spiritual traditions that are efficacious have similar uh, mandates and, and, you know, moral requirements, requirements that contribute to the group to, to pay what amounts to a tithing or rice or labor or, or effort back into the group, and and then all these practices kind of add up to something that enable you to hear God's voice. And and it is, you know, I can't agree more with what you said earlier that it's it's experiential, meaning it's all about your experiences with God. You know, we we I think we easily get tripped up inside our community that it's that it's our ability to to do what we're told by some other person, you know, a person in authority or a. A, a bishop or a general authority or something. And I, I think at a at a remedial level, that's that's helpful. But ultimately, it's about this experience that you have with your maker, yep. and and that being is either around or not. You know, yeah. there's either a spirit, there's either a spirit that you can perceive, learn to perceive somehow, who's guiding you, or there's not. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and and I I think asking that question. Uh, fundamentally, you know, when you get to the point in life where you're willing to say, look, if I don't find, you know, the real God, if I don't find a really, you know, if I don't have a real experience with, with God, I'm not doing this anymore. You almost have to say to yourself that, give yourself that binary, uh, that sort of binary choice where you say, I'm going to, I'm going to start experiencing God or I'm just not, I'm just not doing this anymore. And it's interesting if you if you do that, I think you do have what amount to sort of otherworldly experiences, and it really it can just completely change your perspective on anything on everything. And then when you what I've found is if you can start having those type of experiences, when you go back as you mentioned and read scriptures about baptism, or think of it as a as a uh, 
um, you know, as, as a ritual, as a metaphor, as a as a teaching device, boy, then then suddenly everything starts to look way different, but but even truer mm-hmm. than when you were out professing how how true it was, you know. Yeah. And, and when it becomes experiential, it's it's really quite beautiful. I mean, I've I've noticed that. Um, I've noticed that as I as I attend church, you know, and take sacrament, engage in what used to be you know fairly commonplace ritual, go to baptisms, you know, listen to testimonies, it all kind of assembles itself a little bit differently um, than I understood it before, but it's but it's because of additional experiences, you know, that where, where it is experiential, and, and I think the only reason to keep going back is it, is it ultimately leads it leads you to an experience if it doesn't lead you to experience and it has it has no it has no value it's just sort of a it's just superstition you know mm-hmm. and i think there are a lot of superstitions out there but <laughs> there's a big difference between religious superstition mormon superstition um and and real spiritual communication real guidance real communion with the divine um and then then you you know you start off asking all sorts of higher questions uh, to which there are lots of answers, but then yeah. it's, it becomes more of a process. Yeah, you know? and and you and you lose the fear of that. You just you just like, I mean, that's somewhere, yeah. somewhere along the line. I, I was trying to figure it out. I I, I, was, I was thinking about it when I was at Sunstone, and it was you know, and so I was there from two thousand one to two thousand eight, and at some point I. I quit worrying about what the church thought of Sunstone, of course. That was pretty early on, you know. But I yeah. I realized somewhere in that period. You know, I haven't made a decision in my life for probably eight or nine years. So this is now, you know, 17, 18 years that it's based on, oh, my future salvation, you know, or will I go mm. to heaven or, hmm. or is this the right thing or the wrong thing because, you know, God will be mad or anything like this, you know, it's like, I just, it just, it just, mm. it just went away. It was like, uh, you know, I, I don't remember a particular moment. But it's just like this yeah. slow realization that uh, I've got this, God and I are good in the sense that God's not always, you know, God's like, you know, God. And it, if, if God language triggers people, I'm fine with, you know, the universe or my higher self or you, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. You, you, right. you just begin yeah. to say, this either serves my higher self or my lower, or it doesn't, you know, so that if God, if God cares, and I do believe that there is a God and I do believe God does care, but it's, it's only because of, am I moving forward or am I going backwards? Am I expanding? Am I contracting? Am I, you know, being more open and loving or is this going to prevent me for this? So, you know, every commandment is based upon that, you know? Yeah. I I think if I'm drunk all the time, I'm not going to be in touch with my highest self. You know, it's not like, you know, you know, those kinds (laughs) of things, you know, the the word of wisdom makes sense in, in those kinds of ways and, and everything else. But so I really, think that we are in a pretty good position at a certain point with enough experience that you slowly gain the confidence but then you have to the church part is so hard and I'm writing a book right now it should be out you know November or so and it's called well right now it's called showing up speaking up enjoying church again after a shift of faith but I'm I'm using mm. I'm using the metaphor in there or at least the kind of uh you know what do you call it the a framing device within it is is about giving being able to give your gifts again within the community and to have them received because you know would be pr- mm. prior to a faith shift prior to a crisis or you know this all of a sudden you're undergoing this this call to something more your gifts were accepted in the church you know, in the community, yep. all around you, people. Oh, right. oh, brother Weatherspoon, boy, he is a great teacher, and boy, when he bears testimony, I really feel it. And oh, I just feel so good about brother Weatherspoon. But you know, when you start to mm. question all those things, or they just get more complicated. That's that's my favorite, you know, phrase for it. Is just like you dive into the complexity, you dive into the complications a little bit. And I could no longer say that, you know. So there's a wow there that even though I feel like I'm on a good path, I'm still more deconstructing than reconstructing. 
right? You know, I haven't put it back mm. together yet. And so all that, all mm. that period of time is, is, you know, it just takes years to, you know, okay, I'm taking this one on now and I'm going to see where it, where it falls. But then you, you know, you really start moving from either or into both and thinking and all that stuff kind of happens along the way. But the, the point is, that I'm trying to say is at a certain point, as you go through your journey, you've gained this confidence you know, through either spiritual experience or whatever it is, that you're on a good path, you can begin to have the community see you again uh, and and value you again. And so it's, you know, you feel good about giving your gifts again within this community and the community feels good about your gifts. Now, I'm sure there's 75% of my ward that likes me and then there's 25% of the ward that probably feels like I'm scary because I'm the guy, you know, because I'm the guy that, I'm the guy that says, Hey, Whoa, I think we're getting a little bit narrow here, you know, or, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, going literally with Adam and Eve, you know, as literal people and, you know, and same thing with Noah's flood, you know, there's, that's just too much for me to, to do it. But, but I'm able to now say, here's why it's so much broader and deeper and richer than this, you know? And so when you get to that point again, then, you know, you were able to give your gifts again within the ward and have them received. And, and that makes for happiness. And so, yeah, it's, it's experiential you and God, but then there's skills. There's, there's tricks of the trade. There's strategic ways to break into a conversation (laughs) and there's strategic withdrawals, you know, too. So, (laughs) yeah, no, that for sure there is. And, and, you know, I, I guess there are two things that, that I that I think of when I hear you speak, and you know, so eloquent and so insightful, Dan. Thanks. But the first is, um, I've always um, this will sound like a complaint, but I've always taken sort of an issue um, with language like a, a faith crisis or a or a shift in faith. Not that not that they're inaccurate uh, descriptions, because I think they're fairly accurate, but that there's sort of this this pejorative implication that somehow um, somebody is believing in a less than or less accurate or less orthodox way. Or, and, and so it's that thing, that idea that people are becoming sort of heterodox when they, when they go through a shift or a, or a crisis that I think scares people because nobody wants to be doing things wrong. We want to do things right. Yeah. I think most people... I think most people on earth, not just in our community, but I think most people on earth are really want to do it right. They may have misconceptions about what constitutes doing it right, but the, but the intent is to do it right. They're not trying to be rebellious. And so that that language always implies to me a rebellion or a or a shift to sort of stick your finger in the eyes of others. Yeah, oh, um, well, it certainly can. Smart alecry. It certainly, certainly can. can. And so but 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 my own experience. Well, I don't know if it's my own experience, but I but I like to think that really what's happening to us is a a refining and in fact a more accurate view, a, a more expert, more expertly view of of life, of religion, of ritual, and it's actually a more um, it's a more distilled, concentrated, accurate, more orthodox way of living life, you know, a, a deeper understanding. And, and I wish we could, you know, if I had one complaint is I wish as a community, we could, we could start using language like that. Um, because usually when we use those type of languages, it's when we refer to general authority, that language, we were, it's when we're referring to general authorities or mission presidents or, you know, the, the sort of the icons within our community who, who may or may not be enlightened at all. I, some are, and, and some, some frankly aren't. Um, but, but, but really it's more of a, you know, the, the process, I think in order for us to feel good about it, we should feel like we are more in tune living more, more accurately, more orthodox even, but orthodox implies kind of like a a religiosity, which I don't think is, yeah, I don't like, I don't like, I don't is around. Yeah. I don't like orthodox because of doxia, you know, teachings, you know, the doxology, all that. Yeah. It's sort of a, because it's, it's it's, it's a head thing. It's to me, it's like, are these words, you know, and these beliefs there where to me, the, the whole soul is what really, you know, when you say it's more orthodox to me, it's more authentic. It's more in in tune with your highest and best self. 
versus like yeah I, I agree with that's a better yeah. articulation yeah. for sure it sort of reminds me I went to Venice a few years ago and and uh, there's a this place Murano right next to Venice where they make glass and you can get a free boat there and they'll take you over and take you through the glass factory and they want you to buy stuff and that's why they do it for free but but there are these guys and there's these craftsmen that you watch blowing the glass and they've it's something that's been done there for you know fifteen hundred years, maybe mm-hmm. longer. Mm-hmm. It's the old method, and these guys are have these long pipes, and they're grabbing big hunks of molten glass, and they're rolling it around, and then they blow, and they make a little bottle, and they clip it, and they, and it's all kind of like this musical, non-thinking sort of just thing they're doing, mm-hmm. and it, they're clearly experts, but they're just not even thinking anymore. They're just. They're just creating. They're in the flow. So maybe it's more like that. You know, yeah. they're in the flow. And and I think that, you know, what happens over time is you become, you know, you become, um, you know, closer to God as you become refined and sanctified. You, it's not like you're so righteous. You just sort of, the scales fall away, I yeah. think, a little bit. Yeah. And, and you're able to discern a little bit more. And it, it you know, so I, you're right. It's not an orthodox thing, but it's, but but the opposite also is not true. It's not like you're leaving anything or you're, you know, rebelliously taunting other people who are less enlightened. I mean, I always think oh, like I the, know. the no, first sign of yeah. the first sign of someone who is not enlightened is that they're so rude to everybody. <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. and they're always so critical of everybody. And it there's just you know, you know, God is not God who knows everything is not criticizing us. He's you know, however you want to again, however you want to think about God, but it's but it's love and it's care and it's patience and it's and everything's good. You know, I I mm-hmm. do think though that uh, one thing you did mention, and I, I I don't mean to shift gears so quickly here, but one thing you did mention is I'm not sure. I I, I do think some of these higher concepts um, are are actually f- more readily found by reading things outside the community. Like I, I'm, I'm to the point, you know. My views now is you really need to augment, you know, scriptural study. Maybe I ought to go back and read more of like Psalms and some of the more poetic parts of of, uh, of our canon. But, but I found many of many of these ideas that are really liberating or enlightening are not really taught inside our, our community. They're really not found, you know, like the idea of. Um, you know the, the 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 death of ego, for example, or of facing your darkest fears and being willing to just just sort of die or look into the into the abyss. Maybe that's inside. Our, our, no, it's up it's up to you and me to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, you know. What's yeah, the, I mean, so, uh, so I always, I always some, say, like, some, what's the goal? What's the goal of Christianity? Where's Christianity taking you to? And the answer will always come to the celestial kingdom. And I'll go, no, no. It's taking you to the cross. It's taking you to the cross. You know, we need to put ourselves on the cross, crucify the old self, be born the new self. And, you know, and then I, I build it up there with all of Paul's, you know, I've already faced the death. It's, you know, who cares if I die yeah. here in this, I'm, you know, me and my partner here, I can't remember in Thessalonians, whoever he's traveling with, you know, it doesn't matter. We've already died, you know, and we already have been right. reborn. No, but, yeah, that's, that's but the kind that's of what, stuff, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I almost feel like there is there is a time when you know because I don't think that I don't think that that is something explicitly taught. Um, no. I, I mean, it's, I just don't think we. No, explicitly no, we don't. It inside our community. No, I mean, but you can I get. Mean, am I missing you can't, it? No, you know, it's not. But you can get away with yeah. it. You know, if if you're not trying to do it. And I kind of was a little cavalier there. No, no, it's the cross. You know, sounded like a one of those <laughs> arrogant idiots. But no, it's more like it's more no. like. I, no, but it's no, but it's, a, it's an interesting. They'll, they'll it, end up going along with it after after a while, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that the you know the idea of the you know the cross being, um, you know, viewing viewing the cross as a place where the ego goes to die, and and that's the part that's being executed, and what rises again is you know purified. And I mean, we don't we don't talk about that. I mean, that sounds very Catholic to me as someone who's who sort of grew up in a Catholic neighborhood. It's just this kind of you know kind of Catholicy. Not really Mormony, yet it's so helpful to to get that perspective. Um, and so, some you know, I think we could, 
you know, there, we do have um, leaders who, I mean, Dieter F. Uchtdorf is one who, who speaks in, Hubie Brown was one who spoke in sort yeah. of otherworldly kind of ways. Um, but, I, but I find, you know, I do think that as a group we're evolving and growing towards us as well, and we're not quite there, but that's, you know, that's a minor criticism. No, I, I hear you. But, but all of it's fair game, you know, again, if you're doing, if you're offering it with the right intention and they know the, they know Agreed. they know your faithfulness to the community they know they know who you are as a person striving for good things in the world then you can then you can teach it and those three or four people might be the only ones that really come alive because of that and they'll find you in the hall they'll catch you at the next ward dinner and strike up a conversation whatever it is you know that's that's what it is there's not going to be you're not going to move everybody because of one talk or one Sunday school comment well, I, I mean, I, you know, yeah, and you're raising a, a separate issue, which is, are we allowed to speak this way? I think we, I mean, I think our community is very receptive to, to kind of bring in anything in. Because they're, so the yeah, they're so bored. Yeah, because they're so bored. They're so bored. And people are very open to all sorts of different views. And I think even leadership is. I just don't, I think though, as a, as a, you know, as a cultural observation, we, we don't feel like we have the right to do that. And, you know, as the higher up you get, I mean, you'll never hear something like that at a general conference. And if you do, it'll be one obscure kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Max, which is, Maxwell which is will too throw, bad that we're Neil A. Maxwell will throw it in as one beautifully, you know, a bunch of alliteration in the middle of it that only those who yeah. really want to dive in can see. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but it, but it, but it, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that you, you, that you broached, and maybe we can just close. We're, we're bumping up on an hour here, but I, I thought maybe we could close with a thought. You mentioned earlier that you, you have ceased trying to uh, do – you have ceased doing things with the aim of achieving salvation or the celestial kingdom or getting some sort of reward. You've stopped just that mindset. Just, well, so and I didn't, do it, I, did, but I, I didn't do it deliberately, I guess I'm saying. It was more like I noticed it. You know, that mm. kind of thing. So yeah, it was a, but, but it was maybe a fruit, just, not a not a goal. Yeah. So how, how, help us. I mean, I guess just for for our listeners, you know, maybe can you expand on that a little bit? You know, how what you're talking about in terms of that mindset of doing something for the to achieve the celestial kingdom versus t- today's mindset. You know, your more mature mindset. Huh. Well, I th- no, yeah, I, I, need, I think I, when you when you and again, I don't think it happened overnight, and I don't oh, think no, it happens no. with the flip of a switch. But but it's a but it's a different mindset. It is, but I think it just so. Um, let me say a phrase, and then I'll back up just a little bit. I just think it's when you mm. quit living out of fear, and you you know you live out of love, or you just feel your centering in the universe is one that mm. that that can say this is where happiness is this is this is a more expanded a more abundant life you know as jesus's phrase is uh versus mm. the other one and so you're you're centered in not in fear you know you want to say love cuz love and fear are good ones to pair together but but to me it's yeah. it's just like you're you're just sitting somewhere somewhere different in the universe you orient towards it so to back up for that though again i have to go back to the more religious experience you have the more that you let your okay here's the thing i think a lot of people who listen to your podcast i know who listen to mine they're generally very very bright and so much of our ego is tied up in how smart we are you know, and and we yeah. and we get credit for that, and and we like the way our mind works, and we like the fact that we can often solve problems and all sorts of stuff like that. But when we um, we have to say, I can let that part of me go for, you know, I, that's the first ego thing that I've got to get rid of. Not that I won't be smart afterwards, you know, but it's a deeper wisdom, you know, it's the both and smartness, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, I, yes, I see that problem, but I also see that behind or under that, under that thing was a really beautiful or powerful teaching, you know, yeah, it's getting, Mm. it's the, 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 the beauty of it is getting lost in the rules 
and the this is how do you do it and here's our three takeaways today and all that kind of stuff mm. but the beauty of the yeah. the gist of it the thing that's pointing to is there so you you kind of can live into that but i i guess how did i get to that point i think i just spent enough time with god to just it's like there's just <laughs> there's just no way that it doesn't work out in the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Whether it's this life, yeah. next life, whether it's multiple lives, I, 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 I'll confess to uh, there's there's a reincarnation in my general hunch about the universe. You know, not in this mm. whole you know Buddhist. We're trying to escape the wheel of suffering and you know karma and all that stuff. But just you know, you learn better in bodies and you learn better in different bodies at different situations. And uh, you know, I think. Yeah. I, I think somehow it's just going to yeah. keep going until we It'll get keep there. Keep going, yeah. You know, whatever your spirit yeah. becomes because of this life's experience is added to, you know, your character or whatever. And so the next life you're going to be doing a little bit better because you've got the wisdom of the previous life in your deep core. You know, anyway, anyway, I, I shouldn't yeah. have gone on to that. You can certainly yeah. kick that out of there. But just the, the, long, no, no, the longer that you live, the longer that you live, the more you under- just worry. Don't worry about stuff like that. And, um, yeah. But like I say, it was a fruit, not a deliberate thing. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when you read passages in the New Testament, like take no thought for the morrow, you know, and, and um, the, when the prodigal son comes home and everything seems to be fine and, the, you know, the, the laborers in the vineyard are all kind of paid, this, paid the same, you know, it's hard to come away thinking that there's this really scary type of, sifting of the wheat from the tares and the the sheep and the goats and all this sort of stuff that that instills fear in us yeah and and if there is a sifting it's we're self-selecting you know this whole prove them now here with or life is a test no it's like uh you're you you are you are becoming yourself you know kind of thing that's how you're proving you know it's it's not like i'm proving to god that i really belong there it's like (laughs) i became like god (laughs) you know I became more Christ. Right, and it, and it's more of a realization too. It's yeah. it's. Um, I mean, I think one of the best descriptions I've heard is is um, people say it's hard to you know in the same way that you can't know distance in space without a few points. You need a point or two, and then you suddenly have a point of reference and you can tell distance. You know, likewise, you can't appreciate how how divine you are unless you go through a period of life where you really believe and are operating under the assumption that you are not divine. Right. And then when that kind of falls away, then you can really appreciate, you know, the, the gift of divinity and the gift of being complete when you've gone through a period where you really didn't feel that way and you really mm-hmm. thought you had to earn God's love or you mm-hmm. really thought you had to, to, had to progress to this higher level that that's so hard. <laughs> you know? yep. It's such a hard burden to carry that when you realize you don't have to anymore, you know, that then it's it's you really appreciate it, A. But likewise, it also brings to life, you know, phrases like, you know, my burden is light, take my yoke upon you. These things all start to make more sense too. Um and and in that way, you know, getting more perspective makes things that we've been taught our whole lives inside of our canon, inside of our community, that much more profound and symbolic and beautiful. That's been my experience anyways. Absolutely. So it's important to keep going back and, you know, stay with, stay with the group. Um, You know, it's, I I always am, I always, I always am sad when people leave the body because I don't think we can be outside the body of Christ and, and really, kind of feel connected to God but yeah well you, you know you mentioned earlier about um you know we're supposed to consecrate our lives towards this betterment and stuff but you know in the temple the consecration is you know the first of the three things you're consecrated to for many people is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and so a lot of people will yeah. stop there and so say the kingdom of God the building of the kingdom of God in, in Zion you know right the three things but the thing is, yeah. when we say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, people think it's the programs, it's the time and the money and things like this. No, a church, whenever yeah. we're talking in scriptural terms, is the people. It is the body, you know. Yeah. And this is our laboratory. Yeah. This is our community to work out um, 
to be able to love the the less lovable, to honor those with the less comely gifts, as you know Paul talks about, mm. you know, in that First Corinthians yep. thirteen and or twelve. I can't remember one of them's twelve, one of them's thirteen. That are the two great ones in First Corinthians. Um, all that yeah. kind of stuff is like you know we just we just like step back and go no. What does it mean there are two churches, the church of God, the church of the devil? That can't mean just churches, you know? It means, yeah, no, those right. those that are, you know, on a Godward path and those that aren't, you know? <laughs> those kinds of things, you right. know? Amen to the priesthood of that person. doesn't mean this person has priesthood one day and doesn't. It just means that they sort of, you know, have pivoted into where it's in flow with them or not, you know, kind of. And so yeah. that's it to me. It's just like, all those temple covenants, yeah, to go to the temple, you pay your tithing, you, you know, you, you have these behavioral, you know, what do you call them, uh, checklist kind of stuff. But that's just fine yeah. with me because I want to be with my people and that's the price of being with my people. You know what I mean? I don't know that God would care that yeah. I really have one beer every evening to relax. But, you know, as part of the Mormon people, I... You know, don't drink the beer every night to relax. And I do love yeah. beer. I had my party years, and I still loved it. You know, <laughs> the taste hasn't gone away. The O'Doul's is occasionally there for me still. But, but it's one, one, of, the, one of those, uh, uh, you know, just like, I want to be with these people. I'm willing to, our stories are so rich. You know, the plan of salvation can go so many different directions. And even though I may yeah. not believe literally in the war in heaven or the, you know, Satan's plan and God's plan and things like that. I don't know that we were all there. Boy, archetypally, those are absolutely brilliant stories to live out of. And so I can share in church inside those stories and not let them know that maybe I don't really believe that there's a Lucifer character. And I don't believe that the reason I do things wrong is because somebody's tempting me and things like this but i can talk about why would that be appealing you know to to you know it's not going to be like i want to follow an egomaniac and so he can have all the glory that's really why i'm gonna go with him no heck no it's like i don't i don't want the risk I don't want the, does it have to be that much pain? You know, Eve's question, is there no other way? You know, kind of thing. Like, it's like, that's, that's why you wouldn't go with it. And so you can do all sorts of fun things. And so to be a Mormon to me is not necessarily, I have to believe X, Y, Z, but to me, it's like, okay, this is the set of scriptures I'm going to be working with. These are the overall stories that I'm willing to do. These are the rules for my community that sort of helps give cohesion to it. I'm inside that, and once you're inside it, there's richness, whichever direction you want to go with it. I promise you the resources are there in Mormonism. At least I've found them. Yep. And, and if, I can't, if I can't find no, them I'm, there, then I'll... I'm with you. Yeah, so... Well, as you, well, all, as you always say at the end Dan, of your podcast, we've gone on way too long. I hope you found something interesting we, we in this. Ha- <laughs> We we have gone we have gone on too long, but uh, I do want I do want to wrap up. And before but before we do, I just want to thank you for coming on. You're, you know, Absolutely. it's always I always learn so much listening to you. I love it, you're buddy. so educated. You're so thoughtful, generous. I mean, it's just been awesome. Dude. So thank you so much for Back for being you. on uh, Mormon Awakenings this week. Well, Dan didn't go on too long, but I certainly did. But I want to thank Dan for joining me here at Mormon Awakenings. Please contact me with your questions or comments at mormonawakenings at gmail.com or find me at Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Until next time.